0: Dad, tell me a story. You know, when I started this podcast, I thought I was going to be offering a set of instructions, a precise framework, if you will, for telling great stories. But I've realized something in the process of doing this. I've realized that my greatest moments as a storyteller have come not because of process, but rather because of instinct, because of unique intuition and insight that I've developed through years of practice. Therefore, to prescribe a fail-proof storytelling system rather than help you develop that same storytelling instinct would be a tragic mistake. I think the whole trend of providing step-by-step formulas for success in any area of life Is overused. It's misleading, to be quite frank. As Margot Aaron puts it, whether you're using AIDA, PAS, FAB, the four U's, or whatever other acronym someone who doesn't actually use formulas cooked up, you're not being helped. You're being robbed. I've witnessed it personally, she says. The more answers I gave students, the less independent thought they were able to exert when I was gone and it was between them and the blank page. They were stuck, lost, and confused. And instead of relying on their own discernment, they leaned on formulas, copying my headlines or tone, unable to write their own copy in their voice in their unique audience. Now, Margot Aaron's talking specifically about copywriting, but that advice applies just as much to storytelling as it does to copywriting. My intention with this podcast is not to rob you of independent thought. It's to cultivate it. It's to teach you the principles that are at play when you tell a story and how to use them to your advantage. I think of two great books when I consider the power of gifting others with independent thought. How Will You Measure Your Life by Clayton Christensen and On Writing by Stephen King. In his book, Christensen offers a series of rules to live by, backed by stories from his life. But the beauty of the book is that it's not a strict framework It's a series of insights you can absorb and apply in your life or ignore. It's not the five steps to happiness. It's here's how I think about happiness. Your results may vary. Stephen King does something similar with on writing. It's not a strict step-by-step approach to writing. In fact, King often gives a set of rules and then immediately follows them up with times he's broken those rules. It's a toolbox, as he calls it. From which to draw upon and use as needed. It's how King thinks about writing. I want you to become an independent thinker when it comes to storytelling. In other words, I want you to develop the storytelling habit. Throughout this podcast, I will frequently refer back to three foundational elements of storytelling. Change, conflict, and choice. It's been my experience that almost all memorable and impactful stories contain these three elements. A character or group of people or society at large experiences a change. A change from the status quo, a change from the way things have always been, or perhaps a change in their expectations for the future. And this change yields conflict. It could be a conflict between people or it could be an internal conflict. The point is, there has to be a conflict. There has to be some sort of life or death stakes. This is one of the reasons that, even though it's incredibly popular, Avengers Endgame actually kind of failed as a movie. Because at the beginning of the movie, I'm going to assume most people have seen this, by the way. At the beginning of the movie, Tony Stark, Iron Man, discovers time travel. And it's this mind-blowing moment. Because you think, for just a moment as an audience member, you think, wow, look at this conflict. Tony Stark has just discovered time travel. So now he has to choose between his daughter or the universe. If he goes back in time, he's going to make it so his daughter was never born, right? He'll he'll change everything that's happened over the last 5 years. But then Marvel takes the easy road and they actually removed the con- they actually removed the conflict. If you really look at Avengers Endgame as a movie, There's never really anything new at stake, except what's already been lost in the last movie. They sort of absolve all of the characters from the responsibility of dealing with any new sort of conflict. But there has to be conflict. There has to be life or death stakes in order for the story to be truly gripping and engaging. And then conflict necessitates choice the character or characters in a story must assume responsibility for what happens next and make a choice. This choice inevitably leads to some kind of transformation in the person, people, or society, and oftentimes this transformation offers a lesson. Change, conflict, and choice. Beyond those elements, I'll try to avoid dishing out too much step-by-step advice and instead offer you helpful mental models and principles to develop your storytelling habit. I want you to take these insights and put them to practice. I want you to use them in the laboratory of life and see what works and what doesn't for you. I want you to train your storytelling muscles and develop the instinct, the intuition of a storyteller. There is a difference between telling stories and being a storyteller. The people out there who promise you formulas and hacks aren't following those things themselves. The great ones are practicing, developing their intuition, and refining their practice even further. This is how we grow, by doing, by speaking, by telling stories, by getting better because we've done it. You've gotta gotta find your fear when it comes to storytelling and tackle that part first if if anybody comes to me and says gosh i want to become a better storyteller what do i need to do my first question is would be what is it about storytelling that scares you the most and whatever that thing is i want you to tackle that part first find the part of it that fills you with the most anxiety and attack it ferociously because if you can overcome that part you can overcome any part of it for me that's often structure and tone I've always found it challenging to strike an engaging balance between a well-structured story and a captivating tone of voice. For example, not too long ago, I recorded a live breakout session that I delivered in San Antonio, Texas at a big event. As I watched it back to see how I did, I remember being pleased with the structure of the stories I told, but disappointed with my tone. My voice was flatlined for most of the presentation and that makes it really hard for the audience to engage with you even if your story is structured perfectly. On the other hand, I've also found myself and other presenters in a situation where the story is so lacking in structure that the only way to compensate is with an uncomfortably high level of energy. It's like a caffeinated monkey with a microphone is telling the story, and that's also ineffective. That's the thing that's always frightened me the most, is striking this delicate balance between a well-structured story and an effective tone of voice, something that engages the audience and takes them on a journey. A tone of voice that reflects the change a character experiences and the conflict they have to face and the choices they're forced to make. I want my tone of voice to make the audience feel with that character, whether it's me or someone else. Now, there's another distinction I want to make between my storytelling advice and other storytelling advice, and that is that it doesn't matter if you or anyone else likes your story. What matters is if it's effective. We must be careful not to critique stories with moral terms like good or bad or amazing unless the situation absolutely calls for it. I fear that more often than not, these terms actually mean very little when offered as feedback. A speaker I'm good friends with gave a series of presentations at multiple national conferences and frequently asked her audience members, what did you think of the presentation? And the vast majority of people answered, oh, it was really good, re- really good, nice, nice job. A little flustered at that, she'd usually follow up with, well, what was good? What did you take away from it? And yet again, her audience members would give morally vague feedback like, it was very nice, or you did a great job, or I really liked it. But what exactly is a storyteller supposed to do with that kind of feedback? Not much, to be honest. There's not much you can do with that. The solution to this particular problem is quite simple. Ask a better feedback question. Ask your audience members questions like, hey, my goal with that presentation, or my goal with that story was to, And then tell them what your purpose was, what your goal was. After you've informed them, ask, how well did I achieve that goal for you? Now you're giving people something specific to offer you feedback on. You're getting to the heart of what makes this story effective or ineffective. For the record, your audience should also know the purpose of the story while you're telling it, or at least after you've told it. They should be able to get to the joke, so to speak. So don't be afraid of that kind of real feedback. Lean into it. Embrace it. Good specific feedback raises your desperation to be great. When someone gives you really specific feedback, it makes you desperate to be great. Because you have something very actionable that you can address. And it's not easy to go to bed at night knowing there's something very specific someone thinks you should get better at as Ravi Gupta says regarding desperation. In my experience, he says, desperation is the single greatest advantage you have as a startup. It takes you down to the lowest level of detail. Desperation inspires creativity and intense focus. It is an essential ingredient to building great products and services. So the next time you feel desperate, lean in, embrace it. Use it as the fuel to create the next founding moment for your company. Sure, Ravi's words here, are especially for startups. But the advice that he's giving can be likened or applied to storytelling too. You can take this advice to lean into desperation and apply it to the types of stories you tell, to really anything that you do. Remember, getting specific feedback from people raises your level of desperation. And when you feel that desperation, that desire to be great and improve, lean into it, use it. Now that's another important lesson for you. Great storytelling, great storytellers, I should say, make connections that aren't obvious. That advice I just offered you from Ravi Gupta is for startups. It's not for storytellers or presenters, but the advice applies to storytellers and presenters nonetheless. And if you can make those types of connections, between storytelling and things that aren't necessarily meant for storytellers but still work, you're going to come across a lot of very unique insights that make you stand out as a storyteller. For the last few years, I've invested a good deal of time and money into studying copywriting. While copywriting is generally thought of and spoken of as a marketing and advertising discipline, most of the principles of copywriting also apply to speaking, presenting, and storytelling. I've also made helpful connections between how startup investors vet the companies they give their money to and conducting storytelling research. Good investors are thorough in their quest to understand a market, a product, or a business model. And I've used some of the same question asking methods and market research techniques that investors use to prepare for presentations and storytelling opportunities. I'll use their methods to vet the environment a story will be given in, ask questions about the intended audience, and be very clear about what my story can and cannot do, the same way they try to be very clear about what a product can and cannot do. It's important to consistently be on the lookout for insights that can aid your storytelling. Insights and lessons that may not specifically be about storytelling, but that work and apply to it all the same. Now let me wrap this up with a story. I've told this story before on the podcast, but I want to tell it again because it, uh, it's, it's an important lesson. In March 2020, I traveled to Michigan to train a client for work. The subject of the training was customer service, and I had two four-hour training sessions to deliver. Training sessions that this business owner paid $5,000 for. I stayed up late in my hotel room the night before, flipping through my slides to make sure I had helpful explanations and visuals to share with the company. I rehearsed the flow of it all in my head and tested out the slides several times. What could go wrong, right? I had a perfect structure in place, but it turns out that everything went wrong. The training was a total disaster from start to finish. It was so bad that by the last hour of the second session, which was the session that the owner sat in on, I was out of material. I was totally winging it. And I was getting constant pushback from the employees who disagreed with everything I was training on. The tension in the air was palpable. And when the owner drove me back to the airport, I could feel his displeasure. I could feel how disappointed he was in this investment. He was clearly displeased, but he wasn't going to say it to my face. I I could feel and I knew that he was going to take it to my boss. He wasn't going to say it to me. And sure enough, a few weeks later, when he called my boss to ask for a full refund on the $5,000 training, he referred to it as a disaster. Now, when I look back on that experience, I thought, well, gosh, it must be the client's fault. It must just not be right for them. And I suppose there's a sliver of a chance that that's true. But in reality, I didn't use stories. I stood up there like a boring, lifeless college professor lecturing people on customer service and it went absolutely nowhere. If I had instead infused my presentation with stories, it would have gone so much better. But there's one other thing that I should have done, something that I've only recently learned. My focus that day was on the content. I wanted to get through my slides, to get through my presentation. That was my priority. But my focus should have been on the audience. Focus on the audience, not the content. Focus on the people, not the material. Just a couple of weeks ago, I delivered that same training to another company virtually. So this is two years later now. I delivered the exact same training that I brought to Michigan two years ago to another company just a couple of weeks ago. And this slide deck, to give you an idea of what it's like, has over 50 different slides in it. So there's a ton of material to get through. And if I approached it from the traditional standpoint of a lecture, my focus would be, okay, we've got you know, we've got four hours to get through this. We've got four hours to cover all the material. But instead, I made sure I knew the material like the back of my hand before I went in. And then during the actual training itself, I became laser focused on the needs of the audience. And as a result, out of my 50 slides, I only used four or five of them For the entire time, I only used four or five of them. I didn't even use the other 45 slides because as I was engaging with the audience, I came to know their pain. I came to know what their problems were and what their perspective was. And so I used the material that was relevant to them. And that's what we spent all our time on. It was this beautiful back and forth. They were asking questions I was answering. I was asking questions they were answering. We were practicing, role playing, discussing the material, overcoming objections. And by the end of it, they told me this was the best training we've ever had. That's the power of using stories and focusing on the needs of the audience over the importance of your material. Your material might be fantastic. It might be worthy of a $500 college textbook. But that doesn't mean that your material is the most important thing. The most important thing is the people that hear it. It's their needs, their problems that need to be solved. The skills they need to develop. This is why, to go back to how I started this episode 19 minutes ago, this is why, We cannot rely on hacks and formulas and step-by-step advice. If you want to give it, be cautious. Be curious before you give it the advice. And if you want to get it, again, be aware of what you're getting into. Be aware of what kind of problems the framework you're getting into is supposed to solve. Don't just follow someone's step-by-step advice because it worked for them. Learn their experience first. Learn their stories. Ask them for stories of how they used it because those stories will teach you more than the actual frameworks themselves. What we all need is not to become scripted speakers and storytellers. What we need is to develop the instinct, the intuition, and the ability to survey an audience, to get to know what they need, to survey the environment, and take account for what noise we're going to be competing against and then to deliver a message that's relevant and helpful to them in that environment right now that is the job of a storyteller it's to say something that the people will remember forever not to follow a script not to follow a process it's not to be told that it was good it's to be effective and make a difference in the lives of the people you serve It's not to impress, it's to impact. It's not to get someone to say, wow, nice job. It's to get someone to say, thank you. Your words have changed me.